somebody else has done it, then you can do it. Like just because, you know, I, I'm not anything special. Nobody does, like nobody's like the more people I meet that are like famous people are really well known. Like they're just regular people that um, they've just made a decision and they found some breaks and they just, and I've had my share of breaks as well. But I think that if you just make the decision, you know, it's, it's the idea that luck is where, uh, you know, commitment and preparation meet. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to the Abundant Journey Podcast. I am the host, Nick James, along with my co-captain, co-host, Nick Offenkamp. Nick, how are you? I am super well. It is a beautiful Friday here in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, it's like one of my favorite things every week to get to sit down with you, get to talk with an amazing guest, and uh, really, really thrilled to have Bronson on. Nick, I know you know him a bit bit better than I do, so I'm going to let you do a a proper introduction, but always grateful to be here. Yep, and uh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. You know, one thing, before I even give Bronson a chance to start taking it away. Uh, I will say that the power of networking, we continue to talk about that. And so I had the chance to meet Bronson for some other, by some other guests we've had on the show and we've run in similar circles with relationships and connections, heard nothing but good things to say. And Bronson's been generous with his time as we've picked his brain about different investments and different opportunities. So we're going to dive into his story and excited to hear a little bit more about the past and upbringing. So Bronson, that was your intro. That's all I'm giving you. How are you, sir? I'm good, man. Really excited to be here. Love talking real estate, faith, all the good stuff. And uh, I know we have some, some mutual friends, so really excited to be on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Where's uh, Where are you at in the world right now? So I live in uh, Pasadena, California, near Los Angeles, and uh, I do travel quite a bit. And most of our uh, multifamily stuff is in Florida and Georgia. So I, I get down there sometimes okay. with some partners that live there. But people are like, how do you live in LA? And yet you have all your stuff outside <laughs> of LA. I was like, that's very strategic to live here and not to uh, invest here. So that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> <laughs> No doubt. And are you currently in Pasadena or are you at uh, one of your other uh, spots where you're investing in? Yeah, I'm in Pasadena. I just, uh, yeah, I've done a bit of travel the last few months here and, you know, enjoy that. But I'm, I'm here. I was saying I'm focused on my new book. I'm working on hopefully the next couple of months that'll be out called fire yourself and how to replace your income within three years through passive investing so i'm looking forward to that that's awesome and that's definitely something that we would love to dive into and uh and hear a bit more about but maybe before we get there um Let's hear just a bit about uh, your background. Obviously, you're doing a ton in terms of uh, real estate syndication and beyond, but um, maybe let's get into kind of the upbringing where the entrepreneurial fire first started burning in your life. Yeah, so I grew up in Seattle, Washington, um, kind of similar to you guys, I guess. I don't know if you both live there, but I know Nick lives kind of in the area there. Um, So I grew up there. I started um, in middle school. I started doing paper routes. And so um, I, you know, I, I basically had an allowance. And my my brother had my older brother had done a uh, paper out for a couple of years and had bought his own car, uh, saved up four thousand dollars and bought a Honda Accord. And I was like, oh, that sounds wow. pretty cool. I'd love to do that. So I uh, got a paper out. The way they had it structured then is that you could do 
the paper delivery, um, you know, this is maybe to 50 houses, you do it in the afternoons after school, and then on the weekends you do it in the morning. And so it really taught me a lot of responsibility that every single day I had something to do. It was only about an hour or so a day, but it just taught me that, hey, I can come home and watch TV or I can do, you know, other things, but I have to kind of work around this and I've got to find a way to be able to get this, you know, paper delivery done. And so I do it and, you know, I, sometimes I do it and I have to go to football practice afterwards or I do other things. And um, it was just, it just taught me a lot of responsibility. That's awesome. Did you, uh, how old were you when you did that? Uh, that was like age 14 until about 16. So what was the, uh, I'm just curious cause I was not one of the guys who did the paper out and, uh, I probably should have, did you, I mean, did you have to go in and sell yourself? I mean, what was it a rigorous, uh, enrollment process or hiring process or what did that look like? Yeah, so it, I kind of followed in the footsteps of my my older brother. He was kind of a rock star at it, and so uh, they, he just said, "Hey, I've got my brother here, and he's great, and whatever." And so I, I pretty much had the job if I wanted it. So it was one of those things. It's amazing when you have favor or a door opens that you know, you just kind of walk through it. And that actually happened again later when um, I got a job working for the Seattle Sonics before they moved to Oklahoma. There's still a lot of bitter people in Seattle, as you know about that. <laughs> oh, yes. But uh, I worked for them as well. No so doubt. I kind of followed him into that. I also worked at a kind of a store like a Best Buy on commission sales, uh, selling cell phones. So I kind of followed him to get, get in started. And so, you know, sometimes you just have a lead and you follow it. So maybe people have listening, you have a family, who, a member who's in a family business or some other thing, and you just kind of follow it and you kind of follow into it. You're like, hey, this actually has worked out pretty well. So it was a nice way to learn a lot of responsibility and about sales and other things as well. That's awesome. No doubt. Did you, um, were your folks entrepreneurial themselves or, it, I mean, clearly your brother was a go-getter and clearly, you know, eager to, to tackle new ventures and opportunities. Did he learn that? Did you guys learn that from folks or was that something you just saw more modeled than him? Um, yeah, so it's interesting now, um, you know, he's my older brother, so he's actually not, he, he had a lot of entrepreneurial traits when he was younger, but he has really enjoyed the, the safe, secure job. And my dad is actually a college professor, so I can relate with the rich dad, poor dad thing is, you know, in, in the book, his poor dad was, uh, you know, like almost, you know, a PhD in work for the state and all like my, <laughs> my dad has done. Um, but you know, it's just interesting how I had some of these entrepreneurial traits and I was willing to try, I think a lot of entrepreneurial, uh, you know, a lot of people that, that like entrepreneurial ventures are willing to handle a higher degree of risk that, hey, if this doesn't work out, I could go do something else or just being OK with that kind of the risk tolerance, um, which you typically if you do it right, you can get paid much better. But, um, you know, it's, it's just a different road than being a employee that, you know, you can't make any mistakes. Or you get fired. And as an entrepreneur, you have to be willing to make a lot of mistakes and learn. And so that's been an adjustment even now as the last couple of years as I've you know, left the W-2 and, and just been doing this full time. Absolutely, and maybe we can talk a bit more about the uh, that transition and what that's looked like. So, I mean, from paper route, and then you had—I uh, mean, that sounds like an awesome role with the Supersonics. Uh, yeah. What were you doing for them? Yeah, so I—they had this job where you basically you'd sit around, you you'd wear all this cool gear. And you'd be at the uh, the game, you know, the NBA game, and you'd be handing out the little programs before the game. You'd do the shootouts at halftime, and you just most of the time you just sit around and eat pizza and watch the game. So it's kind of a cool gig. I got a kid as a kid, it was like the coolest job ever. Right? That, that was amazing. That was my that was my dream job <laughs> as I was, uh, you know, attending uh, NBA games growing up and whatnot. I'd see the the young guys that would be out 
um, whether that's, you know, grabbing the balls in the warm up or the halftime kind of stuff. So anyway, you were living my dream. There, man. Yeah, it was. Awesome. Oh, you're so cool. You weren't supposed to talk to the players and they talked to you. So a couple conversations with players, but it was just kind of, it was just fun to be there. I mean, I think I made $5 an hour, but it was like, it was just so great to be there. You know, it was amazing. But you worked for the Supersonics. I did. It's I did. legendary. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then you had a, a gig with uh, Best Buy. Did you go to? Um, did you go to college? Get a degree? What was kind of your first? What you would call a a, a real um, real career, real job? Yeah, it wasn't until a little later. I went to. Um, I actually did some missions work in college. Went to Africa and was a missionary for about five six months with a Christian church out there. Um, and that was cool. And I, I kind of bounced around. I started studying uh, to be a pastor, and then I went to, and I was a youth pastor for a while. And then I went over to uh, do business. I graduated with a business BA because um, I thought I had to kind of choose is it business or is it ministry? And I realized you could kind of mm-hmm. do both. Like I come up, oh, came yeah. up with a name where I combine the two called Biz Ministry. So you can kind of like do both. Um, <laughs> but I ended up going. Yeah, 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 exactly. I ended up uh, coming to LA and doing an internship and getting my master's at Fuller, which is a, a seminary down here in LA. Uh, yeah. Kind of how to you know serve and do international development and those kinds of things. And then I got a job at a, uh, my first real job, I guess I'd say, I think I was 20, probably I was like 25, 26. Uh, I got a job as a high school youth pastor in Billings, Montana. And I had 200 high school wow. students and I had a staff of three people, three or four people. And, uh, it was, it was quite an adventure. I learned a lot and really had a great time and faced some challenges and, and, you know, I liked Montana, but, uh, that was my first real job. Wow. And how long did you do that for? Um, I was in Montana for a couple of years. I was there a year and a half and, um, you know, <laughs> a embarrassing to admit the only job in my life I've ever been fired for was that job. And it wasn't <laughs> what you think, you know, it's, it's like, um, they just came to me one day and they're like, yeah, we just don't think it's a good fit. And, uh, your last day is Tuesday. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like I moved here. <laughs> oh man. I had bought a house there. I'd gotten married six months earlier. And I was just wow. like, it was, I felt like my life was, it was like a high school moment. Like my life is over. What am I going to do? And so, yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, looking back, it wasn't was it was not a good fit for me just because some of the uh, philosophy of the church. But you know, things like that too. Even coming back to faith is just that everything happens for a reason. And even whether mm-hmm. somebody yeah. you know follows Jesus or they have their own faith, I just feel like you have to see purpose in what you're doing. You have to see that God is somehow working in your life because these things happen and they can be so devastating, so hard. But when you say, okay, there's some plan, how this is all going to work together. Um, it's amazing how that has transpired. It actually took about two years and then <clears throat> went from being fired from a job, I've never been fired before, fired from a job to getting a job in medical device sales, which that's a whole nother God story about how I got into that, just mm-hmm. these series of moments. But I went from being fired to being the number one person in the company of out of over 100 yeah. people, and I was making six <laughs> figures a year. So I went from 33K a year, uh, you know, <laughs> living in Billings, Montana to making, and it's not all about money, but it's just to be, no, to go but- through something where like a door completely shuts and then to have mm-hmm. just, you know, all these awards and honor and respect and just like, it was just amazing the contrast. And I was just like, oh, okay, wow. I guess I can see sometimes bad things happen and it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome to uh, put the the connection together of, yes, everything happens for a reason. And then to be able to give the example, and it's always so much easier to see in hindsight, right? right. Like when, um, when the break doesn't go the way that you're hoping, whether that's getting let go from a job or, or even if you had just come to the realization of, ah, this isn't the right fit. And <laughs> now I'm in Montana, what do I do? Yeah. Uh, but seeing 
the Lord's sovereign hand and opening up yeah. the role with medical device sales. I mean, did you just know once you got into the medical device sales, like, did you love selling? Um, did that speak to kind of an entrepreneurial drive in you? Or were you surprised as anybody that you were crushing it in the ways that you did? Well, it's interesting. You know, um, I, I feel like I've made these shifts where I went from, you know, really encouraged I was a, I was a youth pastor and then I got into medical device sales and then I shifted even again to go into real estate and investing. People are like, this just feels like, well, this is so different. Like, how are you doing this? But the amazing <laughs> thing is if you learn, what if you learn along the way and, uh, you know, you just continue to grow, they all add in, right? It's not like you, you check your skills at the door from one to the other. That's the amazing thing about real estate is that you can bring whatever skills you have. And so for me, I think with sales and entrepreneurship, it kind of started with the paper out where I learned a lot of responsibility. I learned, okay, if I go out and do this, I've got to get this done and I get paid if, you know, if I can get it done in a quicker amount of time or find a smarter way to do it or have my friend help me and hire them. I could find different ways to do it. Um, but then the uh, in high school... <clears throat> I also followed my brother in this. I got a job. I mentioned this Best Buy type of company that um, it was called Future Shop, which the irony is it, doesn't, it yeah. no longer exists in the U.S. You remember, you remember this, the Northwest. Okay. Uh, oh, I, re- uh, Shop, yeah, yeah. I remember them, yeah. <laughs> the Future Shop, and the way they compensated people as salespeople, they, you basically got commission. So you got like, it was either, it was either commission or a base salary. So at, 50, at, you know, at six, I think it was 17 years old, just turned 17, I got hired. I went from making $5 an hour uh, at McDonald's and, and the Sonics and different things like that to making $15 an hour on average. So I basically was making three times as much and I started actually tithing about that time. So I have this theory of like, man, I, I was praying to God help me find a great job. So, but that was a job where I think I was able to really learn about sales and learn like there's a lot of strategy that goes into not just punching a clock, right? If, you know, you don't want to be in the time for money trade, you want to be in the, you know, really creating value. So I came back to that when I got into sales and I just didn't know at the time, I just thought sales was like people sell used cars and cell phones. Like, can you make a living doing that? I didn't know that sales is actually one of the most highly paid sought after skills that there is. And so I just was kind of unaware of that. So as I started to get into it, um, I started, wow, I'm really good at this. I enjoy this. I like the relational side. I like this. And I like doing sales in a way that's not salesy. You know, I think a lot of people, and even Mm -hmm. in this business we do with real estate, you know, I never want people to feel like they were sold, right? Everybody wants to buy, but nobody wants to be sold. So how do you, and I found some ways to really sell, I think that is more like farming than it is like hunting. You know, hunting is more, you're trying to chase down the prey and, you know, trying to, you know, you look like you need a sale, you know, and you're trying to get somebody into your your thing versus just trying to continually drip and plant and water and sow. And so things like this, like podcasts and books and eBooks and all these events, all this stuff just kind of dripping and dripping, and dripping. And when the fruit is ripe, uh, there's a harvest time, right? And that happens. And it just naturally happens. And somebody asked me once, like, well, do you do you make a bunch of calls when you have a deal? And I was like, you know, really, I really don't make any calls. I just have this system set up where I'm just continually putting things out there. And when we have a deal, we announce it and all these people reach out, right? So there's kind of a way to do that that's a higher caliber way to, to a little more high class way than just be being salesy. I love yeah. that. And I, I think similarly in banking, I've learned it's more like the farming. So I love that analogy, you know, as I've stepped into being a commercial banker, I mean, some of these, these, the, the length and the cycle of bringing in and building new relationships takes multiple years. And, you know, I think you're, you're in a similar boat now with real estate. It's such a relationship game. Now, did you lean on that in terms of medical device sales? I mean, I would assume that was similar in terms of building relationships with your clients and customers. 
Yeah, yeah. There, there are different types in medical um, <clears throat> in medical sales. There's kind of two main types of sales. You know, I I always did the kind called disposables, which means people use products and they kind of keep using products. There is another route that is a little more like you're selling X-ray machines or MRI machines, and you may not you may sell stuff and not come back for five years, right? But I always like the relational side of building a relationship. People, you know, they like seeing you around. Um, and Warren Buffett talks about that. He says, you know, in business, we only work with people we like and we trust. And I think if you have a likable mm-hmm. factor, people show up, you're a positive person, you've got a smile, you find some way to call things down their life. They talked about, you know, last time this new truck they got, next time you show, hey, how's the new truck? Or, you know, something, you kind of check in with them. Um, it's just a really high trust way of building a relationship. And I think it's um, kind of similar to just how ministry works, right? As you're just continually trying to build relationship. And yeah, we also have something to sell. And if people like you, they tend to use your stuff, whatever that is, right? Yeah. Well, and For I, sure. I know that you got a question, Nick? Well, go ahead. I, I've got a, I wanted to go back to medical device and, and real estate, uh, but. Well, and if I, you got something that yeah, was related. I'll jump in and I think that'll be, you know, we can continue with your story there, Bronson. But I'm just curious, you know, going from full-time ministry to then making the jump. And obviously you said it was a God story and there was multiple pieces to get you there. But but just curious, you know, I, I think something that you said early and it, it's something that I used to think it was either ministry or work or the workforce. And I was so naive into thinking that those two you know, have to be exclusive from each other. They can't, they can't fit together. So curious of just your journey along that. And maybe you're saying, you know, naturally I would think folks in ministry after the getting fired would say, all right, I need to find another pastor job or I need to find another ministry job. So curious of, of how maybe those worlds collided for you. Yeah. I mean, when it, when it happened, it was, uh, it was a very, you know, uh, it was very unexpected and it was just, you know, led to feelings of anger and sadness and what am I going to do now? And again, it wasn't a conversation. It's interesting that it happened this way because if they had said to me, uh, you know, it's funny, I've had talked to a lot of people since then that have said, oh yeah, that kind of happened to me or something very similar or whatever. And um, so I, I guess it can happen, you know, in any organization, but particularly in churches. But, um, you know, if, if there had been a conversation, hey, this isn't a good fit, you know, we'd like you to find something in the next couple of months, then it could have been, oh, I can transition, I can find something. But the fact that it was so clear, um, I think really, you know, kind of gave me some chance to kind of reflect. And, you know, I looked at some different jobs. There was kind of funny, this is a side note, there was this this kind of rancher in Gillette, Wyoming, you know, Gillette, the best a man can get, right? A town of 30,000 people. And this guy literally had, you know, thousands of acres and he was a pastor over there. And he said, Hey, you can come and be my associate pastor. And I was just thinking like, I don't, I'm kind of a city slicker, man. I don't know if I'd really like to do it, man. Like, I don't know. Like, I, so there were some other opportunities as well. But um, I started doing some personality tasks, like Strengths Finder, which is a good one. And I realized, like, kind of looking at my gifts and who I was, I thought, well, maybe, um, you know, I, I'm someone that could be. Uh, in sales or maybe a fundraiser or doing some different things. So I kind of just started poking around. I had a little, a few couple classes left in my master's to finish. So it gave me some time and space just to kind of figure out, okay, what do I want to, what do I want to do here? And, um, you know, again, making that transition, I think, you know, it, it's challenging. A lot of people look at what we do with real estate syndication and it's even more entrepreneurial than medical sales, but medical sales was a job that was like, you know, they want people that have experience in medical sales, 
So this, it's a, it's a oxymoron. Like how do you get medical sales experience if you don't have medical sales experience and you get hundreds of people apply to these jobs. So there's kind of, there's two ways, either get a job at a big company kind of doing basic stuff, or you start in copier sales, whatever. So I started at a big company, working my way up, but just all those skills, um, all the things you learn in your life, you know, they're able to be used in other ways. So that's the amazing thing about with real estate to transition. I mean, you know, working a pipeline, we have a deal. We just, you know, have our ATM fund right now. We've raised about two and a half million for that for this round. And, you know, just continually, you work on your processes, you work on how you're communicating with people, you work on creating a better investor experience. And all this is just stuff that I did when I was in sales, right? It's just a different version of it. And I think the more professional you are and the better you are at understanding what's important to people, uh, the more natural transition that is. So for some people listening, you know, maybe they like, well, I don't really have sales, so what should I do? And usually people start in, you know, large real estate deals by doing either raising money, which, you know, if they have a high a network of friends that are high net worth or they're a business owner, maybe there's some opportunity there. Or if you have some business experience and you're good with numbers, maybe it's analyzing or finding deals, right? Those are both ways kind of people get started. So it's not, again, like you have to make a full transition and just forget everything you've ever done. It's just, I just look at it like you're adding things in and you have all these other skills you're able to draw from to be able to bring to what you're doing. And then when you bring it, like people listen to you and they hear you and they're like, man, this guy seems like he's doing it because he because he loves people and he's doing it because he loves. Uh, and I think that's the stuff that really comes through. If it's not about you, it's not about a yachts and Mai Tai lifestyle, just you you know, how about how great your jet is. And there's people that do that and that's great, but I think it's much more powerful when you have a strong why. Yeah. You had uh, mentioned Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And uh, obviously, with the way that you're talking, um, you've you've got a bigger vision for life and for your career and for what you're building than I think perhaps the certainly the average person would have. Uh, I'm curious, um, when did you first read Rich Dad Poor Dad, and what are some of the other like either books or influences or mentors that have really helped shape a lot of the perspective that you're sharing here? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, I think, you know, there's a saying when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And I think that's really true that, you know, like in that. our lives, we'll have people that come into our lives that really cause a, uh, a transformation. And, you know, there's actually a quote as well <clears throat> that says, um, by Charlie Jones, it says, you'll be the same five years from now, except for the people you meet and the books you read. So it's really two things is networking and education, right? Reading books, going to conferences, and also just the people that you meet. So for me, I had... Um, uh, just going through life, I realized I'd wanted to become a real estate investor. Uh, this was, you know, maybe six, seven years ago, started, you know, buying single family houses with a relative in another state. Um, you know, my, I had three, three, or f I think I had four or five of them and had a goal to get to um, 30. And I was going to replace my, my income with passive income, quote unquote, passive income. And this cousin of mine, I hadn't seen in years, I knew he was in real estate, but I just, I hadn't seen him. He just lives in, you know, an area, a different part of the country. And so I had saw him at an event. I said, hey, here's my plan. Here's what I want to do. And he said, well, he's like, that sounds like a lot of work. Why don't you do multifamily apartment investing? And I said, well, that sounds great, but I don't have, I don't have the money to do that. And he said, well, you can raise the money. And so he taught me about syndication. He said, go to this event, listen to this podcast, read this book. So I just kind of did everything he said. And I mean, within a short period of time, within six months, I had started a meetup, had raised 100K for a deal, uh, was on my way to you know continue oh, wow. to find deals and find a partner uh, less than a year before that conversation, um, basically formed a partnership. And then over those next 18 months, 
we raised $15 million together, right? So a lot of times we think in terms of scaling and we think we have to do everything ourselves because we're used to single family or we're used to other models, but with multifamily or with larger deals, um, you know, it's more about, you know, kind of how, uh, you know, how other people can help and how other people can come together to really do a big deal. Really building a team, pulling, pulling people around a, a shared mission and, um, yeah. Cool. And were you starting to do real estate syndication while you were also working like a W2 um, uh, medical sales or otherwise? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a, a challenge. I think a lot of people I talk to and maybe a lot of listeners too are like, well, I want to do this, but I have a job or I've got all these commitments or I got kids right. or I got whatever. A lot of commitments. So how do, how do yeah. I do this? Um, the nice thing about sales, at least working in, there's a term called outside sales, which just means that you don't go necessarily like inside sales. would be like working at Best Buy, selling stuff, whatever. Outside sales are like, I'm going to businesses or individuals and selling, right? That's outside sales. It's a different type of sales. So in outside sales, there's a lot more freedom to have time to, uh, once you kind of you know get the first six to 12 months, you can kind of take the time how you need to invest it. So I, I basically would do I, I was going from working 40 hours a week I kind of scaled it down to you know 20 30 hours a week which was really hard for me because I kind of went from being a great sales rep to being kind of a mediocre sales rep but I knew how much I really wanted to get to um, you know really have this take off in the real estate and so I started putting in you know probably 30 40 hours a week in real estate on the sides so I was doing nights and weekends and mornings I was doing calls you know early morning lunch driving you know back from you know different events and things like that that I was doing for the medical stuff so I kind of did both and it was a hustle and I knew that if I if I really pushed it for three years I'd be able to maybe make a transition and I was able to do that and I made that decision and Tony Robbins has this quote he says it's in your moments of decision that your destiny is shaped. And so but the fact that I made that decision in three years, I want to leave my job and I was able to do that. Um, <clears throat> a lot of times we think like, oh, how did that happen? Or that can never happen to me. But until you make a decision like that, even if you don't know how to do it, um, you know, you really commit to it, it, you will figure it out. And so for me, I was, I was hustling, but eventually I was able to get to where my, uh, my passive or investment income uh, had really covered my living expenses. So some people think you have to cover your income, you know, your current income in your job. But if you get to where you just cover your living expenses, which was quite a bit less than my income, then I was able to say, okay, if I want to, I can leave my job now. And that's what I did. I got to where I was in a place where I was comfortably beyond my living expenses. And now I've replaced my income of what I was making before. But, um, you know, it's, it's hard to know how do you make that transition and how do you put your, do you put yourself out there online and how does that affect your, you know, your, your regular job and what happens happens if you lose a job, how much do you need it? All that stuff is, and it's, it's almost like a, you have to kind of coach yourself through that or get a coach to help you through it. But it's, it was quite a transition for me. I really appreciate you speaking to those fears. Cause I think, yeah, that those are extremely common for anybody who's thinking about, um, uh, pursuing an entrepreneurial dream, whether that's real estate investing or starting a business or otherwise. Um, and definitely uh, putting yourself out there of, hey, I'm going out to build this thing or to do that while also working your W-2. That is quite a tension. I'm curious um, what tips you'd have in terms of how you found to be tactful in building uh, one thing while not uh, offending or burning bridges at your your workplace, um, and perhaps any mistakes that, that you might have made in that that you'd caution people against as well. Yeah, yeah. It, there's a, there's a fine walk there. Some people, you know, the question when you quit your job. Some people will like go to a, like a real estate seminar and they'll like 
you know, have no money and they'll like quit their job and take out a loan to do a mentor program and they'll do, and you know, I don't recommend that. Some people do it and they do fine. And, but that's a more high risk way. Other people are like, you know, a month before retirement, they're like, I quit my job with passive income. You're like, all right, well you were retiring, but you know, they, there's kind of this range of, you know, where does that actually work? Sure, and, that yeah, yeah. and I was actually, um, I was actually really terrified to leave because I had a good job. My whole family was like, you're crazy. Like I was making 200 K a year. Yeah. I have this job I'm doing 20, 30 hours a week. They're like, it really was the golden handcuffs, right? And they're like, well, don't leave your great job. And then I know even all my friends, nobody was like, hey, you should do it. And then I got a part of this group, this entrepreneurs group called Entrepreneurs Organization. And these guys are all, you know, entrepreneurs that have businesses that generate over a million dollars a year in revenue. And I got, you know, met with them for about a year and a half. And one time I just said, hey, I really want to do this. I want to share on this. So I shared and I shared kind of how I make money and how the business works. And they're like, yeah, you like every single one of them was like, you should leave your job as soon as possible. And, you know, it, it may not work, but um, you could always go back to medical sales. <laughs> and I was kind of like, yeah, oh, yeah, I guess I could. I've, I've done well in medical sales. They always go back. But sometimes yeah. we like make it out to be like, oh, I could never do this. But um, there's that saying too you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. If you're not around anybody who's entrepreneurial, then they're all going to give you advice to never leave your job. But if you want to figure right. out how to do it, you need to get around successful people and ask them about their stories, right? And you ask them about how they did it. So I think for me, um, a couple things I would do differently. Um, I did make a decision. There was a point where I had a partnership and the partnership kind of ended. So I'd raised this $15 million. Uh, I thought it would go on for a long time. It didn't. But, you know, again, that was another God, you know, closing a door thing. So I started kind of building. I got a virtual assistant and still work, while working full time, started kind of building up this thing on the side. And I realized like, hey, I just need to put myself out there with social media. I need to start doing posts. I need to get out there. And if it blows up, like it'll be okay because I want to leave anyway, right? Like I'm ready to leave. I want to leave anyway. And so, um, and it happened. I had a boss who saw one of my posts on LinkedIn and didn't like kind of what I was doing. And, you know, again, perception is reality when you work remotely. So they know is this guy just sitting around doing the stuff and, you know, they kind of had some, uh, but it really became this beautiful destruction. I did, I have since learned that you can block people on LinkedIn to where they cannot see your posts and they don't, they don't know they can't see your posts. They just look, it just looks like you're not on LinkedIn. So I suggest that to anybody who's going to post a lot on social media, just block certain people in your company or really yeah, go through your organization and time. see yeah. who, Exactly. Because then they don't know what you're doing, right? They don't, you know. That's actually. I didn't know that either about LinkedIn. That's a helpful uh, hack there. So right. Yeah. Bronson, I'm I'm curious, and you know, I know so much of your story is around your faith and around your why, and you know, I I love the journey that you've been on. I'm curious for you, what you know, just speak to the why, because you said, and I mean, you were making great money, the golden handcuffs. But you clearly weren't happy with that. And I'll say it in that way, but I want you to articulate it how you want. But, you know, you, you, you didn't settle. You didn't settle for that, which a lot of people would say, well, you know, what is it? Greed? Is it what more do you want? I mean, so, so what is your why and what drove you into real estate and what drives you today as you continue to grow and scale? Yeah. Well, as I approached 40, I'm 42 now, but as I was like, you know, late 30s, I kind of realized like, you know, life is short. Life is is basically what we make it, and it's short. And so, what do I want my life to look like? And there's a quote that says, "At the end of our li- end of your life, you regret more the things you didn't do rather than the things you did." And I think, as somebody who's a believer, a lot of times we think, "Oh, you know, I'm a Christian, so I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't have sex, I don't do all these different things." And it's like, well, what what do you do? What does your life mean? Or what are the things that you actually yeah. do? And so, I realized I wanted it, the person I wanted to be 
was somebody who was willing to take risks. I, the person I wanted to be was someone who had more freedom of time. As I looked at my life, and I, you know, if, if I had the potential to create a different future, it would just be someone who has time to be able to create, um, to be able to create uh, you know, books and resources and help people. And I feel like it really is a ministry to help people to deal with money and to really you know, not allow money to consume you or not to allow greed to consume you. And that was kind of a challenge for me to realize like, okay, money is not evil. It's the love of money. That's the root of all evil, right? Which a lot of people get differently, but uh, or could get wrong, I think. But um, I think just really being in a place where um, you know I had time to be able to travel, to be able to spend time around um, you know, family stuff. One of my big why really is to to really end modern day human slavery in the world. Uh, there's 20 to 40 million human slaves today. That's my big, hairy, audacious goal. Uh, I don't know how that's going to happen, but I know that it continues to get worse, and it's in every city of the world and every country. And uh, it's just something that I feel like really is on my heart and is on God's heart. And so um, that's really my big why is to generate, you know, wealth and resources for that and maybe eventually just go do that full time and figure out how to uh, stop that uh, or in any, in even mm -hmm. in small ways. But um, anyway, so those are kind of so, those are some of my whys. But I think when you do this business and you have a strong why, like, hey, I want to do this so that. I want to make this difference in the world, and even if something beyond your family or beyond kind of yourself, uh, it, it just it puts out a vibe that you're not doing this because you're you're just trying to get more stuff or you're anxious about money. Is that money doesn't have a hold on you, right? And that's one thing I hope and pray for myself is that it never gets a hold on me, right? Never like I can just continually give and give away and just keep doing more of that because. Um, you know, it helps with the business, of course, but it also just makes sure that money doesn't get into your heart and just make that become the central thing, you know. That's good. No, and appreciate the share. I, you know, and I want to camp on that for a minute. I, I think, you know, growing up in the church, similar to you, there is this vibe of you need to shun and avoid money at all cost. And, you know, the more that I've been on my journey, I know Nick, you share this too. The more we've been on our journey, what an opportunity to use money for the greater good or for the kingdom, or like you're saying to end slavery, you know, you have more of an opportunity to make a difference if you aren't strapped with bills, you aren't handcuffed to uh, a, a job commitment. And again, you can you can be faithful anywhere, right? Like you're, we're called to be faithful. So, you know, when you're in that W-2, it doesn't mean, you know, you, ch you, you check out. But I, I just think as you as you've shared so well, you know, there's, there's this different, there's just a different shift. And I, I know you're such a good networker with other guys who think similarly, but there's just a shift on the relationship with money, the ability to use money for the greater good. And I think, you know, as, as we continue to build relationships with people, those are the people you have to surround yourself with who are really, they, they have a healthy relationship, they have checks and balances, but then at the, I think at the same time, they're going to use it for the kingdom. And, 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 and that's what I love about your story. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, I think at the end of the day, you know, there, there, there has to be a stronger why, why you do what you do, because, um, I think in life, you know, the, the talks, you know, there's a verse in Proverbs that says without vision, people perish. And I think that's really, you see all the depression, you see people with, you know, suicide or just people kind of existing. And I know people, a lot of people as they get older, um, you know, I've just watched people as they get older. I used to work when I was in medical sales for a while. I had a job, worked with a lot of older people. A lot of people just sit and watch six or eight hours of TV a day and they just kind of sit around and they don't really have a sense of purpose. And there's not a lot of involvement in the community and other things. And I just think that 
you know, like Jesus said, he said, you know, my father is always working. And so just being attentive and being around and being focused on what it is God wants. I think that, um, you know, it's important to continue to have a, a vision and a mission for your life. And it could look different. It could be for one person, it looks one way, another person looks very, very different. But um, I just think having attention to that, spending a lot of time, because I think unless your vision is clear and unless you know where you want to go, um, you're, you're never really going to get anywhere. You're just going to kind of go with what's comfortable. And that's what I think about 90% of people are, is they don't really have a sense of direction for their life. They don't really know, even believers, you know, don't really know, okay, what am I here to do? What's my purpose? And that's why I think finding out your purpose and what you're here for and, 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 and really leaning into that, I think is some of the best work that you can do. Yeah. I love the BHAG of ending modern slavery in the world. Um, I love how that obviously just resonates with the, uh, the prayer Jesus taught us to pray of, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done. And um, I think that mission critical for Christians especially um, is the ownership of property and of businesses and um, not having to put in the, the time off request in order to be able to go and do the kinds of things that um, you feel called to do. It frees you up to dream big as you've been able to do. And I'm grateful that you're not just doing that uh, for yourself and for your family, but um, you've really uh, set up um, everything that you're doing to help others uh join you to help others leave their W-2 to build wealth so that they can give and be generous. And I know a big part of that is the book that you're working on. And so I do want to talk um, about that, the fire yourself and um, what the, I mean, the, the title is, is great. It's, yeah. it's catchy. It's pretty clear <laughs> what it's, uh, what it's about, but um, I would love to hear just the, the structure of that, the things that you're excited about that and how you're hoping that will help people. Yeah, so um, I, I struggle struggle for a while to come up with a good name. But I like fire yourself because it's like it's a proactive choice you make to like get out yeah. of a job, and and really the focus is passive investing. How to leave your job with passive income in three years or your business in three years. A lot of people have a business and they if they sell it, they don't know what they do, right? And so to be able to have other things that you can be able to do. But um, I just I love being able to educate on this stuff because I think that you know I I spent. A few years as a side hustle uh, before I, while well, I was in medical sales, before I got into real estate, uh, doing uh, financial advising, and so we were doing some alternative assets and different things. But I just kind of saw behind the curtain, and I saw like a lot of the Wall Street stuff that there's so many hidden fees, there's so many misalignments of interest, meaning that Wall Street gets paid even if you lose half your money. I mean, there's so many things in there that just they've kind of have it rigged against the little guy, and yet we have trillions of dollars. Uh, it's something I might get the figure on. It's around 50% of the stock market is owned with people's retirement accounts. Uh, there are bigger hedge funds and some there are other groups that have you know stocks and things as well. But um, just the idea of owning real assets is so powerful. And when you actually um, you get into things that cash flow and you learn about how finance works, um, it really works for you rather than working against you. And so uh, we talk about a lot of things in there. We talk about inflation and different pitfalls of just, you know, how do you vet deals and how do you look at uh, multifamily deals? How do you look at other alternative assets? And really what's the goal of all this? And just everything I've learned the last, you know, uh, five, six years and how I've, you know, gone from, you know, 200K in net worth to multiple se uh, seven figures, um, you know, just it's in there, right? Of how do, how do people actually, you know, get started and, you know, especially on the passive side, but also, you know, people want to be active as well. 
Books are amazing. I just can't believe the uh, the sort of education that you can get, like that, that somebody can get uh, your story, the lessons that you've learned from eight years, all condensed down, something that you've poured months and months and hours and hours of working on all for, what, 25 bucks on Amazon? It's uh, Books blow my mind with uh, how much value they add to our life for such a relatively low cost. And so... Yeah. Um, I'm really grateful that you've uh, put in the work, the uh, the value of a good book, like what you've worked on compared to the actual cost of, of buying it. It's just um, unbelievable, the, the kind of resource. So yeah. thank you thank for you. doing yeah, that. Well, hopefully it's a good book. Hopefully it's not, a, there's a lot of books that are not that great. But <laughs> I think, you know, I, I read, I try to read about 80 books a year or more and I wow. you know, listen to them. I read them. I read, you know, I just finished a book last night. Um, and I just think that, you know, uh, books are, it is the return on investment. There's a guy that was talking about his name, Stephen Kotler, who's an author. And he talks about the return on investment in books. He's like, if you take, you know, three or four hours and read a book, he's like, it took the author probably maybe a couple thousand hours or a thousand hours for whatever, how many hours to write this book. Yeah. And you get all the experience, you get all their stories, you get all these things. So the return on investment is, is incredibly ridiculous. That's why people like Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, they read like two, three hours a day, right? Because you, as you learn, you just, you can pull things and that's the whole thing. I think the idea of, I, I call it, I don't know if there's really, there's, there's names for it, but I call it convergence. The idea of like, how can I take what I learned from, you know, being a youth pastor and being in medical sales to do what I'm doing now? And how can I take it from this book and this information here? And as you take all this stuff and you put it together, you just, there's so many carryovers that one principle in like science will apply to something in investing or in somebody's life, their biography, they went through this challenge and all of a sudden it was like, oh, this applies to my life or this applies in this situation. So I just love it. I mean, I think it's, it is, it's like a tutor, like a personal tutor. You can have it anytime you want. You open a book and there it is, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It is amazing. All of life is so interconnected and I'm grateful for people like you as authors that are able to help us connect the, uh, what can otherwise seem like disjoint, disjointed dots. And, um, so I'm excited to read it. Definitely would encourage uh, all of our listeners to pick that up as well. Do you have kind of a estimated release date or a goal for when you're going to hit publish? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a process, man. There's a lot of work. I've got Ken McElroy, a friend yeah. of mine, who's doing the forward on it. So he's agreed to do oh, that. Oh, amazing. So that's amazing. And then I'm going to get some endorsements. Yeah. And so I'm hoping, you know, probably end of June, mid-July 2023, that's the goal. Um, so we're we'll coming, coming fast. Coming fast. Yeah. So a lot of stuff to do to get that going. And um, yeah, so we're, we're working on it. I've already had the first edit done. I'm just kind of going back over it. We'll have one more edit and then I'll go over it one more time. But it's just, it's just tedious. It's just tedious to get in there, but it's, it's also really good too. So yeah, that's amazing, man. I, uh, I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thank you guys. Absolutely. Well, we're, we're getting close to wrapping this thing up, but I got a few more questions for you. I, to, to totally diverge off the book and, um, <clears throat> just to, just to ask the question. So I'm curious, you know, thinking through your journey, you know, a lot of times people listen and I, I think folks are, are just starting out or they want to start out. What are some lessons you would either give your younger self, um, as maybe Paperboy or, or, or later down the road, what are some lessons you'd give yourself or recommendations you'd give to others who are younger and they want to be where you're at now? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, um, it's interesting. We got connected through a younger friend, uh, Jeffrey Donis, who's, uh, you know, these guys are in their 20s. They're, they're killing it, uh, early 20s. Yeah. Um, I, I think the biggest thing, you know, anybody can do is uh, take action. And I think, you know, for me, and that sounds really simple. I went to meetups, real estate meetups for six years, and I didn't do anything. And so, uh, you know, if you go to the meetings, you read the books, but you don't do anything, it doesn't actually work, right? You actually have to take the action. And it could look like, I'm going to go to these meetups, I'm going to find somebody. And then once you actually meet them, well, what are you going to do to follow up? How are you going to connect with them? Or are you going to go start visiting properties or go to a, out of area properties and go see how that works? But I've realized, like, if you're just willing to do the work and you work harder than other people, at least for a short season, you can do it. And um, you know, it is a hustle. It's a grind. Not everybody is in a situation where they can commit to do it, but I was just like, okay, I'm going to put some other things on, you know, on hold for a while. And I'm just going to really focus on this. And, um, you know, if you focus on it for a good two, three years, and if, if you really commit to do it, I've watched many people become financially free, meaning they, they're able to leave their job or they're able to replace their, their income or their, uh, they're able to replace their living expenses with passive income or investment income. So, I think it's all possible. And I just, I love, that's the thing I love biographies is I love hearing people's stories is because if somebody else has done it, then you can do it. Like just because, you know, I, I'm not yeah. anything special. Nobody like nobody's like the more people I meet that are like famous people are really well known. Like they're just regular people that um, they've just made a decision and they found some breaks and they just, and I've had my share of breaks as well. But I think that if you just make the decision, you know, it's, it's the idea that luck is where, uh, you know, commitment and preparation meet or that kind of thing. I'd probably butcher that quote a little bit, but the idea of just like, if you, <laughs> you, you prepare and you commit, you will find these breaks that happen and you'll be like, Oh, this is how it worked for me. So make, make that yeah. your story. No, I love that. And that's, that's great advice and consistent with what we hear. And, you know, from both successful business owners, entrepreneurs, investors, you know, you have to take the consistent action and that is one of the most common things we hear. So thank you for sharing that. And I love that your story is similar in that regard. So, well, let's wrap this thing up with our gold nugget round. We ask four questions to all of our guests. So I'm just going to hit you with the first one. So uh, at Abundant Journey, we've created the six F's of Abundant Journey. We're not going to make you go through all of them, but pick one of these. So family, finance, faith, failures, fitness, and future. So pick one of those, and what is one of those that you're focused on this year on improving? Uh, well, what comes to mind is fitness. Um, I'm focused probably on all of them, but I think fitness, I, I do Spartan races, which are like these extreme obstacle races where you carry heavy things and you run up hills. I just did one last weekend, and uh, I got my butt kicked, but it was good motivation to keep going. I've got a trainer now that lives in Hawaii that we, you know, he gives me different workouts to do and things like that. But uh, my goal is to be top three. I've been saying this for the last couple of years. So like, hopefully it'll happen sometime soon, but to be top three for my age group um, in one of these races, my highest finish is, is seventh. So I think it's possible. Nice. It's just going to take more work and more time. And it's, you know, it's, it's, again, I've got to continue to develop into a person that is a healthier person. And so the choices I make with what I'm eating and how I structure my days and my workouts and things like that are, are something that's very important to me. I love that. That's great. And we're, we'll, we'll have you on for another episode just to talk about your fitness endeavors because uh, I know that that's <laughs> yeah. a big focus for you. I love it. Well, um, yeah. you, you've talked, you've given us like 
10 quotes, you've talked books, but maybe instead of asking what's a quote from a book or mentor that stuck with you, maybe what's one that was a significant like pivot moment for you or just a turning point where it's like this book helped shape who I am today. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of them. Um, I think I, one I just finished that just came out, it's called, um, 10 X is easier than two X. Um, and it's basically saying if you ask most entrepreneurs or, or just business people, is it easier to double the size of your business or to 10 X the size of your business? Everybody say, well, it's easier to double, but he says, no, it's actually way harder to double the size of your business as opposed to 10 X. Because if you're going to double, you think of it in terms, I've got to work you know, twice as many hours. If I'm working 40 hours, I work 80 hours. You do everything the same, but just way more. With 10X, you've got to let go of about 80% of what you're doing. And you've got to think in, in a different, you got to become a different person, right? You got to let go of some of that identity of who you were. And so it's a great, real challenge. I love all that mindset stuff of just how can I change and look at this differently to be able to grow? So that's a great book. That's great. No, I've not heard of it. That's a good one. It sounds like to check out. <laughs> Um, yeah. what's, a, what's a dream or goal that you've had that you've not been able to make happen yet? Uh, well, in 2020, uh, I was planning to go to New Zealand and uh, do a three-week trip there. And this little thing happened. I can't remember what it was, but something happened in 2020 that caused me not to be able to travel there. But uh, yeah. anyway, that's still on the list to be able to go there and be able to do that at some point. That'd be awesome. That, I love yeah. it. Uh, last one. At the end of your life, what do you hope you'll be remembered for? Um, I hope I would be remembered for being a great dad. Um, I hope I would be remembered for being somebody who, you know, gave his life to others and really uh, found something non-conventional that, you know, can really help teach people about, you know, how God looks at money and how we should look at it and how we can give and how we can be a part of partnering with God when it comes to business. I love that. Amazing, man. Well, it sounds like you're well on your way. Um, we would love to have a follow-up conversation too, not only on Spartan Race, but to hear about uh, fathering and uh, everything that you've learned and being a husband and father in the midst of growing a business. And uh, so uh, there's so much more we could talk about. But um, in the meantime, where's the best place for people to connect with you? Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Um, the uh, best place, if you go to my website, bronsonequity.com, I've got a free ebook. It's 50 pages. It's called How to Use Inflation to Your Advantage. So how to actually use inflation in a way that benefits you and doesn't harm you. Super um, timely. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> Super that's timely, what I was yeah. following to write. So that's a free download at my website at Bronson Equity. Solid. That sounds great. And can people get connected with your social media and YouTube yeah. through the website as well? I take it. Yeah, I'm on, and I'm on social media. So you search Bronson Hill. I'm on all the social medias. I mean, I'm on TikTok. So you can find me on TikTok doing my TikTok <laughs> thing. So <laughs> right on. Well, this has been such a great conversation. Super grateful for you and your time. Wish you all the best and look forward to connecting again in the future. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Bronson. Thanks, everybody.